Warning, this episode may contain discussions that are not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello. 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 And welcome. Welcome to... Metaversary. Metaversary. I got real deep for that one. That's nice. I'm proud yeah. of you. Thanks. I like we we like to see range, you know. <laughs> I have little, but it's there sometimes. What I'm you do trying. have is glorious. Oh, thank you. No problem. How is it going? It's Welcome going back. Well. Thank you. I don't know what number Where? episode this is. Seven. We're Ooh. on episode number seven. Lucky yeah. number seven. Lucky number seven. I can't believe we've done seven so far. We're almost at two months of doing nice. episodes um you, you know what i can't believe i can't believe that it's not even march right now because this has felt like the longest month in the history of mankind it really has <laughs> it, as as we're it recording really this has. it's january 18th and if you woke me up this morning and were like it's march 3rd i'd have been like yeah that tracks it feels like this march 3rd legit. yeah <laughs> I don't know what it's been about this year, you know, Mercury and retrograde, something that this or the other, but it's felt like a very long month. I feel like every new year, there's some point in January that we just go, I don't know what it is about this year. Like we think it's yeah. like going to change for the better. And then all of a sudden we're like, you know what? It's actually, it's kind of the same. I almost feel like January is always the hardest month because so much shit happens. Like so much stuff goes wrong, you know? There's so much to think about. First, I think about the fact that I have to do my taxes. Even though I don't, oh, I'm not going to do them for like another while. I just start to think about it. Mm -hmm. It's like the start of a new school year. And it's visiting, like I've just gotten done with visiting family. And there's just, there's so much packed into such a short amount of time. Because in December, I just wait for the new year. And I'm like, oh, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And then the new year happens. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole nother year. Of the shit. Like, of never this stop. shit. <laughs> yeah. Like nothing yeah. really changed. But there's just a whole nother year of this shit. Yeah. And in perspective, giving, given the story that I'm going to tell you today, I feel so f stupid for even complaining about it because we're talking about a murder that happened in the beginning of January. So things okay. could be much worse. Let's look at the silver lining here. It definitely and could be worse. Maybe remember that we're here and alive. <laughs> Everybody's entitled to be sad and yeah you're entitled like, to be sad um, your feelings are valid your yeah, feelings are valid for, sure. for everything we i've you know we all go through those points where it's really bad for us too at some point you mm -hmm. know and just thank goodness it's not today yeah. but who knows when it'll be again it feels like they come in waves mm -hmm. you know but yes very grateful that we're both sitting here able to do this um motiversary podcast a podcast about, about murder anniversaries but murder <laughs> and i'm danny and yeah let's get into it so i read a book in preparation for my story today called those days in january by a man named john cagle i think his name is um okay he's one of the investigators on this case it was pretty good it was really a, a really quick read highly recommend i have it on kindle i don't know if anyone out there has a kindle subscription but it's on there and um i really enjoyed it i read it in essentially one day and it's only seven dollars. Yeah, we love a cheap read. <laughs> okay. This is the murder of Meredith Emerson. Have you heard of this one? 
I have not. Okay. So the way that I broke this down is I went day by day. A lot of stories will do what happens kind of before she goes missing. And then they'll talk about the investigation and then they'll explain what happened. And I just kind of like kept you along the ride for the whole time. Okay. So you, so you know what's going on at all times. So it's January 1st. It's New Year's Day of 2008. Meredith Emerson is a 24-year-old woman living in Georgia. She's an honors graduate from the University of Georgia where she majored in French and received awards for her excellence in the subject. She was born in Charleston, South Carolina and grew up in both North Carolina and, and Colorado. She loves skiing, hiking, has a super adorable Labrador retriever named Ella and also has a blue belt in judo, which is the fifth of basically like 10 total belts that you can achieve. And for some background information, it would take you about four to six months if you're working five plus hours a day to rank up in belts in judo. And this is all information I pulled from online. I am not a judo expert, so take this with a grain <laughs> of salt. So I think it's safe to say that she worked for years to get to this judo belt, probably closer to like two years. Mm -hmm. So she's pretty well versed in the art of judo. So her boyfriend's name is Steve and she lives with her roommate named Julie. So at about 1 p.m. on January 1st, Meredith decides to take her dog with her to go hiking on the Freeman Trail on Blood Mountain, which is in Blairsville, Georgia. It's a super bright and sunny day and the temperatures are around the mid 50s. All in all, a perfect weather day for hiking. And she did this a lot. She would often hike with her dog. And this trail is one of the most popular hiking destinations in Georgia. During her hike, she passes lots and lots of people on the trail with her. One of those people being a man named Gary Michael Hilton. He's a 61-year-old local drifter with a reputation around town for unusual behavior and a violent temper. He's also hiking that day with his dog named Dandy. This mountain is beautiful, by the way. Is it? I actually hadn't looked yeah. a up a picture of it, but it's it's like one of the most popular hiking spots in Georgia, so I imagine it would be. When I pulled it up, Blood Mountain came up with, uh, so it says Blood Mountain, elevation 4,458 feet in the Chattahoochee National Forest. It says in Cherokee mythology, the mountain was one of the homes of the Nune, sorry if I mispronounced that, or immortals, the people who live anywhere, a race of spirit people who lived in great townhouses in the highlands of the old Cherokee country. One of these mythical townhouses stood near Lake Balita. As a friendly people, they often brought those lost hunters and wanderers to their townhouses for rest and care before guiding them back to their homes. Before the coming of white settlers, the Creeks and Cherokees fought a disastrous and bloody battle in Slaughter Gap between Slaughter and Blood Mountain. Oh, wow. It sounds beautiful, but also sounds very violent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the pictures aptly are beautiful. Named. Yeah. Okay, so back on Blood Mountain. Yeah. So Gary, this 61-year-old, sees Meredith hiking and starts to hike alongside her and just kind of chat with her up the trail towards the summit. During this time, like I said, there's tons of people out there, so they're passing a ton of people. You see both of them together and their dogs. And eventually Gary stops because he can't keep up with Meredith and Meredith keeps going because like I said, he's 61 and she's only 24. So she's got quite a bit more stamina than him. So while Meredith continues on, Gary turns and heads down the trail back to the parking lot where they have both parked their cars. He grabs a military style knife and a police baton from his car and goes back up the hill a little bit to wait for Meredith to come back down so that he has, a pl has this plan of ambushing her. So when okay. she gets, yeah, <laughs> crazy pants. But when she gets to where he's out of the trail, he lunges at her with a knife and demands her ATM card Meredith immediately fights back, putting her martial arts training to use. She grabs the knife and the baton 
And Gary later states that she wouldn't stop. She wouldn't stop fighting and yelling at the same time. And he says, so I needed to both control her and silence her. What a way to say it. Yeah. It gets worse. Okay. <laughs> so what does he do? Um, because she's fighting back so hard, he punches her in the face, giving her two black eyes, likely breaking her nose. And he punches her so hard that he breaks his hand that he's punching her with. Jesus. Yeah, it's gnarly. Gary again later says that he calmed her down by telling her that he just wanted her credit card and pin number and that he'll, you know, that's all he wants, nothing more. And this all happens about 2.30 p.m., so about an hour and a half after she's arrived at the mountain or leaves to go to the mountain. An hour or two later, another hiker finds two water bottles, dog treats, a silver hair barrette, sunglasses, and a police baton on the ground just off the trail. And he noticed that the like the trail's all messed up, which is like a big no-no with with hiking. It's like you preserve the trail that you're on. So he picks them all up and puts them into a bag and then turns them into a small hiking store just up the road later on that day. So between the time that of the attack and the time that Gary and Meredith end up leaving, which is a span of about four hours, another, a, a second random hiker sees Gary out of the corner of his eye on the trail, hiding in the brush and just being an all-around creep. And he looks, he th- the hiker thinks that he looks like he's trying to hide, not be seen. So he kind of assumes that he's like going to the bathroom or something. And the hiker just walks away. But this second random hiker... And he's known to just do this weird shit, like you said, right? Yeah. So even if someone did know him and walk past him and had seen him before, yeah, it might not, not be something that they were they would be yeah. worried about because he's just a weirdo. Yeah, and he's got a history of violence, so it's not really someone that you want to confront or kind of like deal with, especially if it's just like someone pooping on the trail or like messing sure. on the trail. It's like probably not really worth your time. So he just kind of walks by. But those two hikers end up running into each other in the parking lot. And they kind of chat about how weird that is and like how this guy saw Gary and just like kind of that it's very bizarre and concerning. And then kind of just together, they decide to drop the stuff off at the hiking store. So now it's 6.30 p.m. Gary Hilton leaves Blood Mountain parking lot in his van with Meredith subdued in the back and her dog Ella is back there as well, unharmed, which was important for me to know in the story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you don't watch shows or anything if the dog dies. No. So stuff with animals, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it hits hard. I do not like it at all. For sure. So about thirty minutes later, Gary takes Meredith to an ATM and attempts to withdraw money from her account, but she's giving him the incorrect pin and just insisting that it is the correct pin. So they drive to another bank, and at about nine p.m., he tries to withdraw money from account again using the same pin code, which again she corrects and says is the correct code, but of course it doesn't work. And they just kind of call it a day and they don't really, there's no information about what's happening that night. They're just kind of like chilling out, whatever. So the very next morning, Meredith's roommate realizes that she hasn't returned home and she tries to call her boyfriend, Meredith's boyfriend, to check and make sure they're together because they had plans that that day after she went hiking mm-hmm. to hang out, but she can't get a hold of the boyfriend. So she doesn't immediately panic because this is normal for her. She goes hiking, she's got a boyfriend, she's, you know, doing an out dinner thing. But Meredith's boss calls her and reports that Meredith didn't show up to work. So now she starts to panic and thinks, okay, I got to search for her. So she calls Meredith's parents and some family friends and they report her missing to the police first and foremost. And then the roommate starts going through Meredith's things at their apartment and tries to figure out where she might have gone hiking. And she finds a hiking guide that Meredith had highlighted a couple of hiking spots on. So they split up and they start searching. What year is this again? 2008. 
you said highlight hiking guide and usually I'm, I'm thinking like this is stuff that i would be doing on my phone so when you said highlighting the hiking guide I yeah like, wait <laughs> so i think the first iphone came out in 2007 but I also think it's common for hikers for like extreme or not extreme, but people who are super into hiking to take actual physical guides because yeah. you might not have service on the trail or I'm sure back then there was not a bunch of good hiking apps like there is now that are available offline, stuff like that. You would think you would take the map with you though. Like if you highlighted a trail, you would think that you'd take it with you and not leave it at home. Thank goodness. So someone yeah. found it and knew where you were. Yeah. Unless it was like a trail you'd been to previously and you kind of felt yeah. confident about where you were going. So at this point in time, the weather has taken a drastic change since the day before and has gotten super cold. Again, it's January 2nd. Mm -hmm. The temperature's in the single digits. There's ice and snow at the mountaintop. And when they get to the parking lot at Blood Mountain, they immediately spot her car covered in snow. But they can't find her in that area. Naturally, it's snowy. It's a place they've probably never been to um, as they're searching on their own. So they end up calling police, emergency services, and the U.S. Forest Service, who are all familiar with the area. And as conditions worsen, they decide to come back in in the morning because sending out more search parties at that point when it's so cold and snowy is just super dangerous for the searchers. Yeah. Probably end up with more missing people. So at this point, um, they've kind of searched the area and they can't find anything. And local police ends up calling the Georgia Bureau of Investigation um, and they're brought in on the case. They think there's a chance that it's just a missing person, but something tells them that it isn't because of the items that the hiker found and left behind at the hiking store. So because... did the hikers tell people about it? So what happened was the hikers took them, took the items to the store and they're like, mm -hmm. hey, we found these items. It was really weird. We thought that might be important. Here you go. And it's close to the hiking trail. And so people went there and were like, no, but we, we did, someone did turn in these items. Like news spreads quickly here. Which I is thought great. you meant they picked up like water bottles and just threw them in the trash, like to take them off the trail. Oh no, they like put them into a bag, like the police baton, the water bottles, the dog treats, and they took Wait, them they to the store. Wait, they found the police baton too? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Never they, mind. Like, that left makes just... more sense. Yeah, yeah. That makes more sense as of why you would take it and be like, yeah, yeah. this is weird. Yeah, like, so water it was bottles like, seem okay. Yeah. The police baton is what actually stands out and why the Georgia Bureau of Investigation was called mm -hmm. because one of the detectives says that the baton is the biggest red flags. Pepper spray wouldn't raise any alarm bells because that's pretty common for people to have. Yeah. But the baton is basically just like a lead pipe. So their gut is telling them something's off. So back with Meredith and Gary, it's 8 or 2 p.m. And Gary tries to withdraw money from Meredith's account for a third time at another bank using the same pin, which also doesn't work. And Meredith just continues to insist that it's the correct pin number and she doesn't know why it's not working. And she's just trying to buy as much time as she can. At this point, Meredith has been missing for a full day now and her dog. So January 3rd, it's the next day and word has gotten out like wildfire about a missing hiker and several hundred volunteers show up at Blood Mountain where Meredith's wow. car was found to search for her. The volunteers mostly being people from the hiking community because it's just like a super tight knit community. And if one hiker goes missing, they know how quickly that can turn bad. Yeah, I was going to say that that whole community of hiking and camping and like off trail hiking and stuff like that, climbing too, is just so tight. It's such a small world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So around 10 a.m., law enforcement sets up kind of a command post nearby at a ranger's office and they set up a tip line as well. Should anyone from the public have any tips to call? They also start tracking her bank accounts at this point and her phone. So if any of them are used anywhere, they'll know about it. Um, and then by noon that day, a press release and the tip line info is released along with a photograph and basic information about Meredith. And almost immediately, they start getting calls to the tip line. So several people call in and they say that they saw her hiking up the trail at the summit. 
and that a strange man with a tan dog was seen with her at various points. And those don't ever stop coming in. Like tons of people call that in. This is a side note, but it's a very important side note. Something like this proves, and everybody should know, that the whole waiting 72 hours if you're an adult to report something, to report someone missing for someone who is an adult is such bullshit and it's not yeah. true you can report someone missing as soon as something happens that's out of character or they're not where they're supposed to be you can report them missing you do not have to wait and if police tell you that you do have to wait they are wrong and you search for someone else to tell if that police officer won't listen to you because that is absolutely false and i've heard so many stories where they don't take it seriously and the families wait 72 hours and then realize that they could have gotten help sooner so i'm very glad in this case it's awful that someone's missing for 24 hours, but that law enforcement is taking action mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. And even now, just get loud on social media. I can't tell you oh how many God, times yeah. people just like say, please repost this. Here's my contact info. This is the photo of the person who's missing. This is where they were last seen. And it helps so much because people just like incessantly repost. They want to be part of a happy story of someone being found. And it yeah. helps so much. So social media is great for that. Sorry for the tangent, but that, that's, that's okay. one thing that always like gets under my skin is when law enforcement think that, oh, she probably went off with her boyfriend or she probably yeah. met another man or something. Mostly with me, it deals with the, with the stuff with women because yeah. it seems to happen more often than, but yeah. I digress. It happens with everybody. So yes. They're very dismissive. Yes. So two hours after um, this press release is released with the tip line and her photo, Someone calls in and says that he thought he knew the man being described as being on the trail with Meredith. He says he once employed a man named Gary Michael Hilton and recognized his physical description and the description of his dog. So immediately they have the right person. This guy also gives information about Gary's van, including its year, make, model, and color. And before ending the call, he also gives them Gary's identifying information including the date of his birth and his social security number. Are you sure this wasn't just Gary calling? Right. <laughs> because... Like, this guy's like, listen, listen, Linda, I know who this is. Here's everything was I have. Husband. Like, yeah. <laughs> was exactly. it his husband? Was it his husband? I'm now convinced it was him because who hands over that much information? Gary had yeah. a stalker. Gary yeah. had his own stalker. Or he had an ex-employer who was not thrilled with him. So boom, 20 minutes, 20 minutes after the first press release, there's a photo of Gary on the news and they're asking for people to send in any information they have about him. I just pictured his old boss being like, Gary would flip the burgers, but he flipped them too early and there were so many problems and the customers kept returning them. I fucking hate Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Here's his info. <laughs> like, <laughs> I knew I saved this for a reason. It's been like sitting in a dusty drawer for 10 years. It's just posted on his monitor. <laughs> The guy's going down years now. old. They're like, yeah. well, when, at what age did you employ him? They're like, this was his first job when he was 20 years old. And they're like, wait. He's just been sitting there every night sipping his cup of joe. Just, just staring at the, the post-it. Yeah. <laughs> so 4.30 that night, about two hours after the employer calls in the tip about Gary, Gary ends up calling his former employer, not knowing that he's on the news, uh, Gary, from two different phone numbers because the first call drops and he has a bad connection. And he asks him for $700 because he says he's gotten his life in order and wants to come back and work for him, but he just needs the money to pay for his driver's license and his car tags to get renewed. His employer's like, the Krusty Krab is closed. Yeah. He's like, about that. Um, I think not. <laughs> but so the employer's kind of like, all right, like, let's plan for you to come to my shop 
and I'll give you the money because he thinks like, oh, if this uh, is Gary and he's involved in kidnapping, yeah. I can get him here at a place in time and just call the police and have him arrested. So he kind of agrees. It, never, it doesn't end up happening. Spoiler alert. So it's 6.30, like two hours after Gary calls the employer. Search parties are still out looking, striking out, finding nothing. And the original caller who gave all of the information about Gary, the employer, tells police again, they call him again and say, yeah, Gary just called me and asked for money. And then he gives police the two phone numbers that he called from and they track where those numbers are from. So pretty quickly after that, they arrive at the place where the phone calls were from, but Gary Hilton isn't there anymore. And the people who work there were like, yeah, we saw him, but he's left a while ago. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of all the information they have for the day. So at this point, Meredith has been missing for two days. Was it like a hotel or something that the phone calls were traced back to? So I was a little confused on what it was, but it sounded like kind of like a diner that had maybe a motel attached to it. Okay. Yeah. The way they described it was really confusing, but it, he was like supposedly sitting drinking a cup of coffee. So I was assuming it was a, di a diner. Okay. That would make sense. Which also side note, when I was reading the story um, and typing it up and like researching it, I kept reading like he was sitting, enjoying a cup of coffee at a diner and I was like picturing it and I was like, man sitting in a diner eating some food and drinking a cup of coffee sounds so good so i ended up going out to dinner at black bear that night mid, that was that night mid research yeah God, i haven't been to a good diner in a long time like gone and sat down at a diner they hit differently when they're real good yeah oh god yeah, yeah. black bear is always so busy i've never gone you need to go later if you go to black bear but we it's would, always we went so at like busy. 8 p.m yeah. yeah prime time is to go at 8 p.m didn't get coffee though but anyway so next day january 4th in the afternoon early afternoon gary ties meredith to a tree and he tells her that he's gonna go she's gonna go home today he's like all right i get it you're not gonna give me a correct pin number like i'm gonna let you go you know here once you figure out how to get off this tree like goodbye have a have a nice life so he walks back to his van and he makes himself a cup of coffee and he quote unquote collects himself and then he returns to the tree with the tire iron and Meredith Emerson is killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Yeah. But so what was, what was this guy's stature? Cause he's 60 something years old. Yeah. I know. Cause I've seen some fit six year olds and then I've some, like I've seen some who look like they're about to knock on death's door. Like he's more in the knock on death's door category. Okay. Like the fact that he had to break his hand in order for her to be subdued kind of yeah. tells you about like how much he had to fight i'm just i'm trying to picture like the because then after that it's been two days and then three days. he's still yeah. he's there three days and then he's still able to kind of keep control of her and tie her to a tree mm -hmm. so if you're kind of looking back on like how she handled all of this she was just mm -hmm. doing her best to stay alive for as long as possible sure. and she was trying to do everything right she was like fighting him at first and then kind of just like going along with it and um he'll say later on that like he was giving her books to read and they're just kind of like chilling out which i'll get okay. into that but yeah. like he wasn't there was no like sexual assault that i've read about and it wasn't a matter of like he was beating the crap out of her every day it was just like they were kind of hanging out which like i said i'll get into that so at 4 p.m that day ella meredith's dog is found in cumming georgia which is about 60 miles away from meredith and where meredith and ella went missing at blood mountain and police bolt over to where the dog is, but they find no trace of Meredith, Gary, or the van. And Gary ends up later saying to investigators that he couldn't bring himself to kill Meredith's dog because, quote, it was hard. You got to remember we had spent several good days together, unquote. Yeah, let that sink in for a second. But it wasn't hard to 
kill Meredith. Yeah. 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 So weird. So um, Ella is identified as Meredith's dog using the little ID chip. And then 41 minutes after Ella's found, Gary calls a lady named Sean Stewart asking for money. And this is a woman who knew Gary for about 30 years. And while on the phone with him, she goes, don't you know the world is looking for you? And Gary just immediately hangs up. So she calls police and gives him the, gives them the number that he calls mm-hmm. from. And police discover that the num- number's from a quick trip service station across the street from where they found the dog. So police rush across the street. But Gary, again, is nowhere to be found. So he was just like chilling there while the police went and found the dog. Yeah, I'm sure he's I'm sure he must have seen the dog, the um, police across the street. He must have. Yeah. So then around 645 p.m., which is about almost three hours after they found the dog, Meredith's ID is pulled from a dumpster outside that same quick trip. And the store because the store employees and end up identifying Gary as being there. And then they were like, oh, yeah, he was cleaning out his car prior to you guys getting here. And so they're like, well, we should probably look in the dumpster. And so also in the dumpster, they find a white garbage bag that has Meredith's fleece pullover covered with dirt, hair and blood. A blue sweatshirt also covered in leaves and blood. A U.S. Forest Service citation that was issued to Gary for driving on a closed road and camping in an unauthorized area. There's blood on that ticket, too. And then finally, there was also an Atlanta newspaper, chains and a bloodstained nylon rope. Is Gary dumb? I mean, if that's not the equivalent of a smoking gun, I don't know what is. That's like, it, it takes away the whole argument of even going like, I didn't, I was there, but it was circumstantial. I didn't put it there. When you have a ticket that's yours that you put in the bag with the it's, clothes, like you're. Yeah. It's I like mean, you you're wanted. D- you're dumb to begin with, but it's like you wanted to get caught for something. He wanted to get caught. I was just going to say that because. So in college, one of my very first classes I took was a criminal justice class about sex offenders and offenses, which mm-hmm. side note, I have no no interest in going into criminal justice. That was not my major. <laughs> I just like took it as an elective because it sounded interesting and like I wouldn't fall asleep. Information's good. Information's yeah. good to have. So that was cool because the professor there also worked at Atascadero State Prison. Okay. This was in California, by the way. Um, and so he like regularly had conversations with like Edmund Kemper and like all of the heavy hitters there. So he had some crazy crazy. stories to tell. But anyway, so essentially the entire class, the entire semester, he was talking about how most sex offenses and offenders do it because they want to feel power. And a lot of serial killers, like they end up wanting to get caught. Like they want the notoriety and recognition of the things they've done. So while they might you know, be elusive for a very long time. Secretly, they they all kind of want to get caught because it would be like, yeah, I did all this. Like, here's my trophy case. Let me look at it, you know, which is just so creepy. But anyway, back to the story. So three days after her disappearance at 8 p.m., a witness at a gas station calls police, another gas station, and they say, uh, the guy you're looking for is cleaning out his van. So the police quickly arrive on scene, but are unable to stop Gary before he's bleached a good amount of his van. They arrest him finally, and they charge him with murder. This phone call is online. This 911 call is online. If you want to listen to it, it's pretty good. The caller at one point says something to the effect of, do you want me to take him down? Like, it's offering <laughs> to jump this guy and take him down, which I appreciate so much. That's, I feel like, though, I was actually just thinking when you were saying that of what my reaction would be, because I watch all of this stuff when there's, like, big news things going on in my town and whatnot, or something's happened 
and they put out a wanted thing, I'm like, man, what if I see them? Or if there's ever a missing person, like, what if I see them? If I was working and this guy walked in and I'm like, oh shit, that's him. Like, yeah. I'd be like, what do we do? Like, what are like, we gonna? Can we lock all the doors and lock him anywhere with us? Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, do we just do we trap him? Like, do we close yeah. the fence? Like, what do we yeah. do? Yeah, totally. like I would have been the same way. Like, do you want me to? It's I, I was um, was that I was driving on the highway one time, and there was someone just being like really erratic on the road, and I did call nine one one, and they're like, where? Like, where are they going? And I'm like, they just pulled off the exit, and I did the same thing. I was like, you want me to? You want me to go? Like, and they're like, no, no, that's okay. I, I was once, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I once witnessed a guy um grab an entire rack. I was driving through a parking lot of like a little mall, strip mall that had a Macy's, and I once witnessed a guy grab an entire rack of purses and just bolt out the door and jump into a car. And so I started following the car and I got on the phone with police and I was like, I'm following them. They're like, Don't do that. Leave the car. You are fine. We will take care of it. <laughs> I swear. I because I know they have like in stores miss like not secret shoppers like uh what is it called um like se- not security loss prevention loss prevention i but worked loss swear, prevention i have seen more people steal things than i think loss prevention people do i was at target shopping for a lunchbox for school like yesterday and i i picked up this lunchbox and i was looking at it and this other guy picked up a lunchbox he looked at it opened it you know looked cool walked away and then came back and put it back and i was like oh, wow, um, I like this one. And it was the last one there. Like, I was sad he had picked it up. So I picked it up. I opened it to look at it. And it's just, like, five packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards that had been, like, taken out of the box and all of the garbage from it was in the lunchbox. And I was like, oh, my God, he's stealing. And I, like, oh, I put it back. And I'm like, now I look like I'm stealing. And I just, like, zipped it up and put it back. And I'm like, I feel like I see more people steal things from stores than the people that work at the stores. It's never worth it. Don't steal stuff. No, not at all. Just don't do it. Unless you're going to hook a thong to your mom's purse at Marshall's when you're 14 and she won't buy you one so that the sensors go off when she walks out. But you probably shouldn't do that either. She won't (laughs) like you. No, don't do that either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, so basically four days after Meredith goes missing, she's killed, unfortunately, and then her killer is arrested. While in custody, more tips come in uh, alerting police to Gary's whereabouts over the last few days, and they were able to really go to those locations and get further evidence at them. They were also able to process his van and found blood in several areas. So despite him trying to clean it, he still didn't do a great job, and they were able to find stuff. Search teams are still looking throughout Blood Mountain, but are unable to find Meredith, and Gary ends up getting a public defender. So at this point, they don't know for sure that Meredith's dead. They've only just found blood and that he won't disclose where her body is you're telling me that a 60 year old man with a broken hand had trouble scrubbing Hmm. oh yes good figure (laughs) (laughs) at this point in time um prosecution decides to do something that isn't quite by the books and what they do is they tell gary's public defender everything they knew about the case so far which is like usually they disclose as little as they can um but they tell him all the facts all the evidence all the eyewitness accounts and investigators tell everything to the public defender and then that lawyer goes in and talk to gary for several hours after about three hours of them talking the lawyer comes out to talk to the investigators again and gary has a request he says i'll tell you where meredith's body is if the prosecution takes the death penalty off the table and the prosecution agrees it's despite them wanting wanting him to have the death penalty 
So Gary ends up leading them to, unfortunately, two different locations. One where her body is and another where her head is. In the initial interview where Gary is explaining where Meredith's body is located is also online. We can listen to it. It's pretty unnerving. I wouldn't recommend. But if you're morbid like we are, I'm sure you might want to hear that. So January 30th, now 30 days after she had initially gone missing, Gary Holton pleads guilty to the murder of Meredith Emerson as a sentence to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 30 years. Good. A quote from one of the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation directors, he says, which I, I really, you know, agree with is she was doing everything she could to stay. It's not something you can train for. Instincts kicked in. She nearly got the best of him. She's very much a hero. And I absolutely yeah. agree with that. When you said that before about her just doing everything she could to stay alive, I've first off, I've heard that that's one of the best things you could do is just try. You basically try and make that person happy keep them in good spirits because as soon as someone snaps and that anger kicks in it's what could kind of end it all but yeah. i've heard so many stories of actually i think almost every story that i've heard of people successfully escaping from somewhere or being let go from being kidnapped is because they do every single thing they are asked of yeah. no matter how horrifying it is yeah. whether it's sexual abuse or violence or anything they just submit and do everything they're asked of which sucks so hard because uh, i feel like being realistic about who i am i wouldn't do that but yeah. anyway so um i know a lot of people always want to know well, why did this happen gary actually says why this happened he states that he targeted meredith simply because she is a woman and the way that he talks about their time together of those four days he almost makes it seem like they were having a good time together and that they were on a date or something it is so gross it is so creepy yeah yeah plot twist i have a plot twist to you okay ready ready okay. for this gary holton is later linked to three additional murders no shit i yes. was just gonna ask yes did he do anything similar to this in the past no yes. way you ready for this you ready for this yes okay. yes october 2007 mm -hmm. murders of elderly couple john and irene bryant in north carolina december 2007 murder of 46-year-old nurse Cheryl Dumlap in Florida, and he's also suspected of three other ones that have similar MOs, but there's no evidence to directly link to those. So let me tell you what happened. Okay. So on, on January 4th, during this Meredith search, you know, they're still trying to find her. They don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. An investigator from North Carolina flies to Georgia and is, talks to the investigators in Georgia and asks if they're aware of an active investigation in North Carolina that has to do with a lady being murdered and her husband going missing during a hiking trail. Literally three months prior to this. Hiking trail? Yes. Okay. He, um, the investigator from North Carolina also says that there's another investigator going on in Florida that they're also working with that has to do with a woman who got murdered in a national forest there. So all of those, all of those investigators start chatting from Florida, North Carolina, yeah. and now in Georgia. So here's what happened. October 21st, 2007, only about two months before Meredith's murder, John and Irene Bryant go hiking. They park their car and they start hiking. Sometime along the hike, they try to call 911, but their call drops because they don't have service and they disappear. So their son comes to check on them because they haven't returned any of their calls and he sees that their hiking packs are missing and he immediately alerts the authorities. The following the day, their car is found and officials find out that someone had used their bank card to withdraw $300. That's it. At a bank. 
Yeah, like two hours away from where they were hiking. So at that bank, security cameras show someone wearing a mask. who's wearing a mask, walking up to the ATM. And then Irene's body is found shortly afterward and her caused his death. You want to guess? Is it blood force trauma with a crowbar? It's well, they don't know the murder weapon or the room, blunt but force trauma. <laughs> yeah, it's blunt force trauma to the head. And then John's still missing and the case goes cold. So that's October. Okay. So less than two months later, on December 1st, Cheryl Dunlap disappears in the National Forest near Tallahassee, Florida. She was a nurse. And when she fails to show up for work the next day, she's reported as missing. So that following day after that, after she's reported missing, her car is discovered at an entrance to a national forest and the left rear tire is punctured. Her bank account is flagged and the police find out that her account was used on December 2nd, 3rd and 4th at several locations. Security footage at those shows a man wearing gloves, glasses and a homemade mask, which you can see it online. It's fucking creepy looking. Yeah. And so they like have security footage of the guy who has the same stature as gary and then on december 15th people see buzzards circling something in the forest and police find a body that they determine is cheryl's but her head and hands are missing so lo and behold they come to find that cheryl's bank card had been used later that week after her death it sounds like the exact same like when they talk about yes motive mo yes mo like hiking trails yep bank cards yep decapitation yeah. yeah, and so and then so that happens, and then all of this stuff with Meredith goes down, and so they're like, "Hmm, all of this sounds really similar, and all of these people died of the same thing." Blah blah blah, right? So let's fast forward to 2011. He's been in prison for a long time for the murder of Meredith, but he's finally tried for the murder of Cheryl Dunlap in Florida and is convicted and sentenced to death. Good. And then a year later. He pleads guilty to the kidnapping and murders of the Bryants in North Carolina is and is sentenced again to life in prison. And the investigators, because they had access to his van at this point because of Meredith's murder, they were able to find blood of John Bryant in Gary's van. And so they knew that he had been there as well. So see, what happened was the prosecution team on the case for Meredith knew about these other murders and that he was suspected of committing and they were confident that Florida would successfully seek the death penalty. So they were willing to take it off the table in Georgia, banking on that he would end up getting it in Florida anyway. I was just going to say, because it seems like at that point, he had no idea that they knew about the other things. It's almost like he had gotten away with them. Things went cold. He was able to kind of go about his business. He found Mm -hmm. someone else to do his whatever disgusting stuff he does. And if you're sitting there and someone says, hey, you're not going to die, just tell us everything. Because you know you're going to be in prison for life anyway. Mm-hmm. So you take that off the table. It's, you probably thought he won at that point. Absolutely. Taking the you death thought- penalty off the table. Yeah, one well, being 61 too, it's like, there's no doubt in my mind that if he was not put in prison for life or issued the death penalty, that he would have just gone forest to forest killing people because this all happened within the last like three month span of before he got arrested. Yeah. Well, I was thinking too, if... They had not taken the death penalty off the table. He may not have given all of the information that he did and a reasoning and anything like that. And even though it's it's sick and it's sad, it it's worse when someone refuses to say anything at all and you yeah. never get an answer. Yeah. Um, I feel like I heard recently that there was some sort of log that was going to be enacted where um, something like you couldn't get parole unless there was a body 
So if you told people where there was a body, you could potentially get parole or something like that. Which I thought was pretty smart. There's like an incentive for telling where people where the body is. I've never heard about that. I mean, well, the thing is, too, like there's um, Son of Sam. What's his name? Uh, David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz has been up for parole already. And he I mean, he basically said he never wants to be paroled. He's said it himself. But yeah, he still I think he's up for parole again this year. Um, and his stuff gets sent to the parole board, they go over and they deny it every time. So even if you do get parole, and I think that's the thing, if there is someone who's done such heinous crimes, no one's ever going to think they're ready to go back into society. No, it's just what it not. is. It's too, it's too much of a risk. So yes, it's an incentive to say something that, but I feel like it's more of a mind game at that point. Like, hey, tell us, you know, and then maybe, you'll, you know, this option will be on the table because it just sounds so much better than life in prison to have with the possibility of parole after it because you think maybe there is freedom but in reality everyone's just kind of like fuck no we just want to we want to give closure to people and you know all of this horrible stuff already happened at least the family deserves to bury their loved one and and know that they're in a safe place totally and who's to say that when once you're in prison i mean you're not going to be like immediately called up to kill someone while you're in there or get killed Mm -hmm. yourself i mean we've all seen prison shows and we see how absolutely crazy it is in there and yeah yeah who knows what happens the second you hit those doors so it's just yeah and people don't people don't take kindly to said certain certain serial killers and stuff like that no you hear so many more stories of uh there's always someone vengeful always someone totally so um i wanted to end on a quote from the book it just stuck with me because it's just (laughs) so creepy uh and it goes It became clear that Gary's behavior was similar to that of other serial killers. His lack of remorse for his killings, his psychopathic ramblings, and his views about society and himself among the many. Most serial killers are proud of their work. Gary Hilton was no exception. I need to emphasize that his interviews are very unsettling because he's just psychopathic rambling is a good way to put it. And just the way he talks about Meredith, it just turns your stomach because he really just talked about like oh we had a great time she's reading books like our dogs got along like we had some great days together blah 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 it's just yeah. ugh, it's disgusting i hate when it's called work you know like proud of their work it's like an artist is proud of their painting proud of their work and then to say mm-hmm. that a, a killer is proud of their work it's just the correlation of what oh yes i get what you're saying i totally get it the heebie-jeebies yeah i wish i wish we spoke more uh poorly about people who do this kind of shit like every time there's you know i hate to bring this up but a school shooting and they immediately talk about like who's the killer like what were they like blah blah let's just say that they're a douchebag and they don't deserve any sort of notoriety you know yeah like fuck gary what a little bitch fuck this guy (laughs) at the end of the day what's what i have to say and i think it's like when you say that too i always think about these people want the notoriety and then their families are also going through so much because there's a lot of times where family dynamics aren't great and there's a lot of times that people do know that something's wrong but they don't know to the extent of what it's wrong and everybody pulls apart because that person's not there they attack these families too and it's just like this is a shitty person we need to forget about this person and we need to let their families move on and we need to let the people and the families that were affected heal from it but instead people just kind of drag it through the mud and keep going and keep going it's like beating a dead horse over these things and you know 
Yeah. I always think sometimes, like, why can't we figure out what we can do as a society to make things better rather than just kind of keep putting these people's pictures up and, you know, again... You know, we're not going to go into it, but the short thing of these Idaho murders, that's all that's happening right now is you see this one guy on TV Ugh. constantly. Yeah. I'm sick of his face. Yep. Sick of his ugly face. Yeah. Well, Meredith Emerson was an absolute badass. Oh, yeah. And she was super fucking accomplished for only being 24 years old. You know, she did so much with a lot of things in her life and she's very well loved. And her dog was absolutely adorable. And her dog went to live her life with her parents. I was and, just going to ask. Yeah. That. Yeah, she's very cute. That's the murder of Meredith Emerson. Poor girl. Yeah. What a fighter, though. I just to, yeah. to not give up in that situation is well to like so be presented with a knife and then immediately just grab the knife like fuck you. Yeah. God, that's so badass. Like hell no, you're not taking me down. You're gonna have yeah. to break break bones in your own body for you to subdue Literally. me. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason why. I forgot, I forgot to add this, but the only reason why he was able to is because she lost her footing because they were on a dirt trail. That's that's what I was thinking before. I was yeah. like, because she was probably so much stronger and in shape, like so much more in shape than him. Yeah. But that completely makes sense now if she if she kind of did a little slip slide. Oh. Because the other ones, it was like uh, Cheryl Dunlop in Florida was 46. And then, and then an John, elderly couple, right? Yeah, John and I were elderly. I didn't write their name or uh, ages down, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody so much for listening. We super duper appreciate you. If you like us here, there's a big chance that you might also like us on Instagram or Twitter. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, both our handles for that is at Murderversary. Just one simple, lovely word there. Also, if you feel the need to email us about anything, we have an email. We will read it and respond to you probably. And that is Murderversary at Gmail. Again, would love to hear from some hiking folks about how great your community is or any other communities for that matter i'd yeah. love to hear about it tell us happy about stories day. are great yeah tell us about your day yeah, just what did you have for lunch today you know we want to hear Salami it salami with cream cheese and mm. same same <laughs> i made a bunch last night before bed and then i had them today there yeah great. i'm so excited i'm gonna have it again tonight um Wait. and also as we did kind of announce last episode we do have a patreon now um it's patreon.com slash murderversary and we do have several tiers on there, with our most exciting one being dun, 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 the Murderversary Trading Card Club, where we send out a new trading card every month with some cool stuff on it that you will see. Probably after the first one goes out, a bit after, maybe we'll post on Instagram about it so you can kind of see more of what it is um, for that trading card club. But yeah, hop on, hop on over if you feel like supporting us. Yeah, no pressure. We're no just pressure, happy you're but here do more it. Than anything. Yeah. yeah, no, do it. Um, <laughs> And lastly, as always, we want you to know that if you are struggling with anything, you are not alone one bit. Yes, um, there is always help. If you need some resources, you can go to murderversarypodcast.com. Click on the resources tab. And there are a bunch of links there where you can be able to go get help and get someone to talk to you and just know you are absolutely not alone. And we're so happy you're here. We're so happy you're here. Um, on a final note, though, if you ever get a cookie from a place called milk don't eat it because it's salty and disgusting we learned that the hard way it's it was really sad zero out of ten danny out uh, <laughs> bye danny i'm also leaving because it would be weird if i stayed here alone bye <laughs> okay love you bye uh,